John 3, we're going to read verses 22 through 36. This is God's holy and infallible word. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that one you were testifying about, Jesus, of course, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And to this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And then this verse is our focus. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. But the one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So very interesting, almost difficult passage that you're like, what in the world is going on? But verse 30, if you have verse 30 in your mind, that's the lens through which we can understand this passage. And I'll read that one more time. John says this about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. Okay? What is your life mission? Or what's your life quote? And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've heard some of these options for sort of life quotes out there. In the end, it's not going to matter how many breaths you took, but how many moments took your breath away. From Dr. Seuss, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. And here's one of my favorites. Work like you don't need the money, love like you've never been hurt, and dance like no one is watching. You don't want to watch me dance, that's for sure. How about this one? More of Jesus, less of me. I'm not sure you're going to find it on too many plaques or too many mugs, but that's the life quote I want to suggest to you today. Students who've made profession of faith, moms, everyone else, more of Jesus, less of me. Our text starts out with the words, after this. After what, you might be wondering. 
not only if you're just joining us today and haven't seen the rest of the chapter, but even if, if you have, what was that again? Well, after the late night rendezvous between Jesus and Nicodemus, where we talked about Jesus' call, you must be born again in verse 7 of chapter 3. Remember that? And then a couple weeks ago, this is after we learned of the multifaceted love of God in the gem of all Scripture gems, John three sixteen. It's after that. Jesus was now out in the countryside, we read, the Judean countryside. Not far away, John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, was still doing his thing in Anon. It's probably about 20 miles north of where Jesus was. John's arrest, verse 24, little note there, hadn't happened yet. It's probably going to take place pretty quick after this. So, so this is kind of interesting. Two ministries going on at once. John the Baptist's ministry is still going on, and Jesus' ministry is going on. And it caused at least one issue. Someone comes up to John, remember, and we read that, and he says, Hey, John, the guy you were testifying about, the guy you called the Lamb of God, well, this dude is baptizing too. Everyone's going over him now. That might have caused a little friction, both of them doing this thing. And then John has this beautiful, humble answer in verses 27 and following, and that, that leads us to what I believe is the heart of the passage and what God's message for us today is. He must become greater, and I must become less. And I believe that truth is as relevant for you and me today as it was relevant for John the Baptist in his situation, passing the baton over to Jesus. John's saying, I did not come that attention would be brought to me. It reminds us of the really humble approach of the Apostle Paul that we get a lot in his letters. Can we do this today? Do we do it? Do we have a spirit that says, never mind me, never mind me. If Christ is glorified, that's all I care about. More of Jesus, less of me. There's something about that statement, and and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better mission for your life as a Christian than this. And if every one of us came away from this sermon praying that prayer from the heart a few times a day in the week to come, I would be one content pastor. It's a simple, short idea, but it's deep, it's rich. More of Jesus, less than me. It's, first of all, our kingdom posture. It's our kingdom posture. It describes the nature of a life lived in the kingdom of God, and it gives us the secret to entering God's kingdom in the first place, which is what Nicodemus and Jesus were talking about a little bit earlier. We're reminded in these verses that on our own we don't believe. No one accepts Christ's or John the Baptist's testimonies, is verse 32. Romans says no one is righteous, not even one. But when the Holy Spirit sparks faith in our hearts, we're called to exercise that faith. How do we exercise the faith we're given? 
Well, it's by denying ourselves, by humbling ourselves, by saying more of Jesus and his love and his work and his atonement and less of me and my sin and my shortcomings, my weaknesses. More of Jesus, less of me is what has happened in each one of these students' hearts to lead them to make profession of their faith today. They have said more of Jesus, less of me. That's what has happened in the hearts and lives of all who believe. And that can happen in your heart, in your life today too, if you haven't been born again, if you've not entered the kingdom of God. If if that's the case for you, you might be a little skeptical. You might say, I'm not so sure of all this. What What a goofy life quote more of Jesus, less of me. I don't want to be a weakling. I don't want to be all self-deprecating. But the reality is that this kingdom posture, it's not about Christians being spineless people. This is not about Christians all being down on ourselves. That's not how believers are. That's not what more of Jesus, less of me is all about. Philip Brooks said it really, really well, I think, and I want to quote him. The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but it's to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what entering the kingdom of God is about, recognizing and accepting God for who he is, putting him and his son first in the universe and in our lives instead of our tendency, which is to make life revolve all about around us. And, and we as a church here at Faith, we want to see people getting this idea and, and entering the kingdom of God. May we live and have the kingdom posture. May we teach it here. May we cultivate it with all our boys and girls and students, everyone who walks through the door. More of Jesus, less of me. It's not only our kingdom posture. This will also be our everlasting position. More of Jesus, less of me. The very end of our text peaks into eternity. And as much as this whole chapter is on eternal life, there are also words about condemnation for those who don't believe. We read that back in verse 18, and in the verses we read this morning in verse 36. And we can't ignore those warnings There are some people out there, and you'll come across this, who believe in what's called universalism. And there are a lot of different ways you could define universalism, I guess, but talking in our context, it means that they believe everyone in the end is going to be saved. And there are other people that teach something called annihilationism. And that teaches that people who don't believe in Jesus, when they die... They won't go to hell, they'll just become dust and cease to exist. Both universalism and annihilationism deny that hell really exists. 
but against universalism, everybody's going to be saved in the end. Our verse seems to say quite clearly, and again, this is verse 36, the last one of the chapter, seems to say there will be people who will reject Jesus. There will be people who will then not see life. And against annihilationism, it says that for those who don't see life, God's wrath will remain on them, which points to an everlasting punishment, not just a ceasing to exist for those who don't believe. So if people want less of Jesus, more of me, God's word says they're going to get exactly that for all eternity. The Bible says that not believing will result in hell, which is being totally apart. We could imagine all sorts of details and what hell might look like. The Bible sometimes delves into that. But in general, what we can absolutely say is hell will be a place where you are totally apart from the goodness of God forever. There'll be more time than you can imagine for self-gratification, putting ourselves first. So there's a strong warning against not believing that we need to take seriously. There are consequences. This isn't something to be this call, you must be born again, that we talked about. and It's not something to be apathetic about. It's not something to sort of shrug off. A decision must be made one way or the other on Jesus. Believe or not believe. Enter the kingdom or remain outside. Eternal life, where the focus is in this chapter, the opposite of condemnation will be all about putting God first and putting his son Jesus first glorifying him forever. And to that, you might say, I thought heaven was all about more than what I could ever imagine and being totally satisfied and fulfilled. And and now you're telling me that it's not going to be so much about me in heaven? Well, yeah, I'm kind of saying that. But I want you to consider this, this, this point here. In the next chapter, John 4, Jesus is going to talk about satisfaction when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. He shows this woman what true satisfaction is about and that it's found exactly in putting Jesus first, putting his purposes above our own. That's what will lead to fulfillment. It's not as if heaven is going to be a suppression of us as individuals. No, we get the impression we're going to be active and doing stuff, and God will use each one of us with our personalities and giftings, with the uniqueness in which he's created us. But the difference will be that it will all be at his service perfectly. It will all be for his glory perfectly, because isn't that where where you and I go wrong in life so often? We get off track. When we put our needs above others, whether it's above others in the church, putting them above our spouse's needs, it sidetracks us from the life that God created for us. In heaven, it's going to all be at his service. Truly, there will be, from everlasting to everlasting, more of Jesus, less of me. Perfect balance between 
who we are, our personhood, our gifts, our satisfaction, and Jesus in his glory. Because we're going to perfectly experience, verse 31, that the one who comes from above is above all. So this more of Jesus, less of me, it's our kingdom posture. It's our everlasting position. And one other thought I want to share with you this morning. It is our joy-filled purpose. This more of Jesus, less of me, isn't just for entering the kingdom of God. It's not only something for all eternity, but it can be your guide for your living day by day too. It's our joy-filled purpose. It can be your life quote. It can be your mission. This is how to live day by day. You know, when I think about myself called to lead in this church, there's all sorts of advice out there for me to get. Most of it says that to lead, you've got to be large and in charge. And did you know that even certain Christian leadership gurus will say that about leadership? And that's what it's about. But I'm not so sure anymore about that. I'm not so sure I was ever sure about that. But I just wonder if if the typical advice for being a leader where you are, your business in your home or whatever. I just wonder if typical advice isn't more the world's way. Because I see John here, a leader, strong personality. I mean, remember how he called out the Pharisees? This was not, this was no weakling. He was a leader. I also think he'd have to be a leader to wear the clothes he read. I I don't, you know, the the camel hair and stuff like that. I mean, it takes a leader to go against the fashion sense of the day. By all accounts, he was a strong leader. John's attitude is humility. He must become greater. I must become less. And and I, I think of poor John here. He knew his star was sinking. He knew his ministry was about to shrink dramatically. As the man said, everyone's going to see Jesus. He was the man for a while, but his crowds were going to be thinning very soon. They already were. Now, now John could have been jealous. He could have thrown in the towel, but... God wanted him to continue, at least for a time yet. More of Jesus, less of me. That's what gave John purpose. Not externals, not man's measures of success. It gave him purpose. And you know what? It gave him joy-filled purpose. Verse 29 tells us, friends, that there is joy for you in this type of of life. Joy. That joy is mine and it is now complete. We can, he tells us there's joy by describing a joyful situation. Your best friend is getting married. That's what he talks about. And that's your best friend's day. 
not your day, right? You're there to serve, to support, to help. You're not there to shine. If on a wedding day you're the best friend of the bride, you're the maid of honor, you don't go out and buy a beautiful white wedding dress, do you? Can you imagine that? Or if you're the best man, when the pastor says, you may kiss the bride, do you pull back the groom, swoop in, and plant a big juicy kiss on the bride? See, in a sense, that sort of behavior describes what we're doing when we elevate ourselves above Jesus in our living, in our attitudes, in our will, in our purpose. John, in his gospel, is showing us how Jesus has come. Jesus is coming on the scene. Jesus is the bridegroom. It's his day, and it still is his day today. And we're called to get out of the way, to be at his service and introduce others to him, to him, not ourselves. Just like John the Baptist. It's, it's Mother's Day today. It makes me think of our homes and especially what more of Jesus, less of me could mean there. And I've got to say that generally speaking, I'm quite certain mothers model more Jesus, more Jesus, less of me, better than a lot of us. And my prayer, moms, is that in an often thankless job where you're sometimes making a choice that is very difficult and sacrificial by not being in the workplace, my prayer is that in a job that people in the world subtly and not so subtly put down, my prayer is that you would truly have joy-filled purpose in what you're doing day by day, that as you serve in your households, you would know that you are really serving Christ and that so doing, you're pointing your family to him so that he is greater and we are less. And I pray too for you, if serving is hard for you in a job that requires so much of it, I pray that you be able to grow in your ability to serve by owning this principle from John 3, verse 30, that God would just work it in your heart and life. Dads, husbands, I hold to the idea of headship in the home, but it's headship God's way, not ours. Our sinful tendency is to tend toward being authoritarian dictators, men, Scripture says we are servants in our leadership. Scripture says loving leadership. The Word says more of Jesus, less of me. In every action, in every word, that joy-filled purpose coming through as we point our loved ones to Jesus, that's our calling in the home. Not everyone's a mom or a dad or a husband, and those that are, we've got a lot of other roles and callings than those in the home. What might more of Jesus, less of me, look like if it was lived and applied in every area of our lives? 
It's our kingdom posture. It's our everlasting position. And it's our joy-filled purpose. I, I trust the Holy Spirit from here on out to work this profoundness into your hearts and into mine as we point others towards Jesus.